Hello, Four Sober Chicks podcast listeners. We are Heather, Meredith, Dana, and Tracy, four women recovering out loud. We gather here from around the world to discuss all things related to alcohol addiction, sobriety, and various paths to recovery. We get real about the highs, the lows, and the amazing reality of living a sober life. This podcast is a creative collaboration by women, for women, and for anyone who supports women. Hello, everyone. Joining me today is Dana, Meredith, and Tracy. We are Four Sober Chicks. Um, Today is, uh, I come with a heavy heart. Um, We're going to discuss losing people to or who are in active addiction um, and doing that while in recovery. So it is, it's a difficult topic. I'm going to put a trigger warning on it. Um, So if this is something that, um, you know, please just exercise personal agency. So the reason that I wanted to talk about this today is because I'm, you know, in the thick of it, dealing with it firsthand. I don't want to discuss the person's too many details or or first name in respect for the family, but in previous episodes, I've talked about my sober angel, and I've talked about a woman who was instrumental in me coming into the rooms, me coming, getting recovery, and um, she was a very important part of our family. Um, she, we actually to- coined the term family for friend, a friend family. And uh, she was in China with us and she was also in the UAE. Um, And she was a huge part of my life and my kids' lives. And I found out on Friday that she had taken her own life. And, You know, I'm, I'm devastated by this news and I have so many complicated feelings about it because about a year and a half ago, she ended our friendship. And, um, you know, it was, it started off with just having, she was having problems with things I was doing and, and being really cruel and hurtful and um, pushing me away is basically what was happening. And there was a point where I just couldn't kind of take it anymore. And, you know, I definitely reacted in anger and pain. And then she used those examples to just be like, well, there's nothing for our friendship. And then she completely blocked me on every form of social media. And that was it. That was the last conversation we ever had after almost seven years of her being a very, very big part of our lives. And at the time, obviously I was angry and I was hurt and I was really confused about what happened, you know? And my defects of character, like what did I do wrong? And what did I, you know, it's, you know, just all of that, right? All of the trying, when you lose a friendship like that so suddenly, it's it's a weird thing. People, I don't think, prepare you for that because it's a loss of like a, you know, like when you lose a spouse or you lose somebody is lost to death, 
there's a standard way that people kind of support you. When you lose a friendship like that, there isn't that. And, but it's still a really tremendous, it's a loss. And I suspected at the time that there was something more going on. Um, when I finally kind of had some distance from the situation and I was able to hear that like um, she had ended her friendships with other people, I started to see kind of a pattern. And I started to suspect that maybe she was was drinking or was on her way to drinking again because she herself was in the program and um I didn't reach out and I didn't say anything you know I let my anger and my pain kind of decide for me and that is one of the things that I'm really struggling with at this point because I did find out that she was drinking and I don't know when she started that. None of the details don't matter. Um, and things have gotten really bad for her. And obviously to the point where she ended her life. And so I have all these, and I think this is kind of why I wanted to talk about this because loss is really hard for someone you love in, the, in any circumstance. But what's I think unique about this component of addiction is that oftentimes these relationships are damaged or really unhealthy and, or as empathetic human beings, we feel like there's more that we could have done. So there's, a, there's some guilt that goes along with that. And, and it's this very, very layered and complicated thing. And I've lost a lot of people in my life that were really significant to me. And it's markedly different to lose someone in this way than it is to say someone who had a long battle with cancer and you know they're at peace and you know death's never good right loss is never good but it's different it's it's it it just it it holds differently in your body and um you know i just have so many complicated feelings about all of this you know grief loss guilt, shame, anger, frustration. I need to hold space for my children. She was a very, very big part of their lives. Um, so yeah, so that's what I wanted to talk about and kind of, and then how do we deal with that, right? Like, I think we can talk about the the topic and then come back in and, and I can talk about like how I'm trying to deal with this. So um, I have a question for you. Yeah. Is this your first loss sober it is not um okay. i lost my husband and i our, our man of honor died of brain cancer um and i lost a adopted sister to a fentanyl overdose um and that relationship was also estranged so mm -hmm. um but this is just like my, our best friend, you know, he was a big part of our lives, but this person was a huge part of my recovery. Yep. And I feel like she saved my life. And so I think that's why, you know, it's, it's, yeah. So to answer your question. I think it, it, it has to be difficult because I, I listened to this story and I feel that this is the second time you need to grieve her yeah. and the yeah. loss. 
And, and how do you do that? How do you grieve the same person twice, but in very different ways, right? You grieve a friendship and then you grieve the actual loss of the person. Like I, I that, that, that struck me hard when I listened to that. And what's funny about you saying that is when my mom passed away, I literally told people, I was like, I'm grieving three people right now. I'm grieving the loss of my mom, like my childhood mom that I remember who, yes, at the time had addiction issues, but we were great. I lost my mom, my cancer mom, because she was a completely different person um, when she had cancer. And I lost the addict mom. Like there were three very distinct people, if you will, that I was mourning the loss of when she died. And all I can say is death in sobriety in my experience has been one of the most challenging. Um, I mean, like you said, death is hard no matter what, but you know, when you're used to being able to numb in any form, whether that's alcohol, drugs, food, you know, the whole nine, that voice, that constant reel in your head is like, I know how this, I can make this temporarily feel better. Um, and it constantly, uh, went there, went there for me, but it's true when you know someone who is in active addiction and they go estranged or they actually die and you haven't taught, like you will be mourning more than one person um in that so that is exactly true you know it's wild that you just said that mary it made me think of my dad so when my dad passed away in 2010 that's when my drinking changed and that was when i when my drinking changed to alcoholism i believe and um i definitely drank to numb took me months and years uh, when my mother passed away in 2020 i was only three months sober and um I think every day that I was sober when she died and it wasn't, I, I didn't, I don't know some, I didn't have the urge to drink at that point because it was just, I had, I had to be present to uh, assist my sisters to communicate to, to, you know, time was just running out and, and I'm, yeah, I'm just, I'm so grateful that I had that, that awareness then, or that, um, that support system absolutely to, help me get through the, that early sobriety and, and death, and especially of my mom. I mean, it was just absolutely, you know, so it's just when you were talking, I'm just like, wow, my, my alcoholism really kicked in when my dad died and, you know, it's still here, but my sobriety really kicked in when my mom died. So I'm grateful for that. Yeah. I'm sorry about your friend, Heather, I think we were just talking about two weeks ago and you actually mentioned her to me. Yeah. And so many things have, you know, went through my mind as you were speaking. Um, and it's what my, one of my biggest fears is if I, I feel if I go back and I start drinking, I, I got in such a depressed mode in my hangovers that, I mean, the last hangover I had, I was suicidal. Absolutely. And I could totally see myself if, going back there and starting to drink again, I, I could, I mean, it's, it's definitely a possibility that I would take my life too. Yeah. Well, and that's, and I think it's, sorry. Sorry. you know, 
I have compassion. At first I had anger, but I have compassion for the person that reaches that point. You know, I had anger towards my mom for committing suicide. I mean, this is what my mom did, right? She was in active addiction. Something, her life was falling apart and she saw no other way out. And it's the same. It's exactly the same. And it. How horrible now, is that? I mean, yeah, it's, and now I have, thankfully, because of being in recovery, I think you said it very well, like, when I lost my mom, I used my addiction to, to manage. Um, now I'm trying to use my recovery to manage with losing another really important woman in my life. Um, and I now, because of being in recovery, have compassion for people who get to this place. Yeah. And just sadness that, that that's, that they get to this place where they, they don't see any other option, you know? um that breaks I also heart. heard I also heard two boundaries I mean I think you've set you've set boundaries which is something I have to do um in order to you know I never give up hope I always pray and, and want the best but uh just setting up boundaries with this particular friend and then you mentioned someone else that you had lost an addiction um you know and, and it's and I just want you to remember that I don't I, I believe um, it was it was more their actions and behaviors and, and choices that isolated themselves away from you. It had nothing to do with you. And, um, you know, it, it's unfortunate. And I think this is the hard work that we've talked about in almost every episode that you continue to have to commit to and do on a daily basis. And again, what we've talked about having that community of people that you can go to. I, I mean, before we recorded this episode, that's exactly what Heather did is she went to a chat that we have and she needed yeah. to talk. Um, and so I think that that is just a layered aspect to the active recovery that you're committing to, you know, every single day. Cause let's be honest. I mean, Again, when you choose recovery, it is not like sunshine. Your your life is not this grandiose life on a rainbow, you know, for the rest of the rest of your life. The hard things are gonna feel even harder. You know, it's everything is amplified because you're actually feeling it and you're going through it and you're having to do it with a clear mind and listen to the voices and, you know, whereas before you, you, you had a way to mute that for a little bit, you know, and I, I feel death is something that we cannot evade. You know, we all, we all have our time and that's, I say all the time, it's one of the crappiest things about getting older. You know, you start to see a lot more people pass, you know, your parents, mm -hmm. your relatives, people that are way too young, you know, the list could go on and on. But I think it's important to understand that we're only as good as the recovery that we practice on a daily basis. Um, and it requires consistent, active um, choices that we are making to do that. Um, and so, honesty. Yeah, 100%. And, yeah. you know, I coined the term addiction doesn't discriminate at all, but neither does relapse. 
um, or recovering or recovery. True. So knowing that I pray to God, I never relapse. I will do everything in my power to do that. Um, but you don't, you don't know, you know, and, and that opens that door of that empathy that you were talking about, Heather, for people who do get to that spot. Um, Cause she was your sober angel. I mean, she got you sober. She was the leader in your sobriety and she probably helped so many other women. Um, and you would think she's invincible, right? She's got her sobriety in check and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's wild. And it's scary sometimes to think about the what ifs. Yeah. How easy. And, you know, you say that it's, it's so how much harder it is to, to feel those feelings and to go through this sober. But I also think on the flip side of the coin, it's easier, right? Because you have the tools now to push through those difficult feelings. You understand where they're coming from. So you understand how to process them and push through them. And while you will feel grief for a very long time, you can also move forward, right? Whereas drinking, you're just numbing it until all hell breaks loose when you do decide to get sober. And then you're not going to only have to deal with that death. You're going to have to deal with everything else that's happened in the past, however many years you've been drinking and process it all at once. And I feel that I haven't had any death since I've been sober. Um, and I don't know how I'm going to process that, but I, I know that for me, as hard as it will be, it will be easier than numbing it. Because like you, Tracy, you were saying you get depressed when you drink. I, I realize in hindsight, that's me too. <laughs> you know, I, I would get very cryy and very, you know, um, sad and, um, that's not a good place to be when you need to process and isolate that's also yeah it's the complete opposite yeah that's also what alcohol is designed to do it is a depressant Mm -hmm. yeah you know and and there's so many people out there i mean you look at how it's advertised on tv or anything but a depressant right i i wish that they would advertise it as a depressant because maybe it would be a little bit more of a deterrent which obviously right? they would advertise it like some of us have experienced i don't think anybody would drink anymore <laughs> like let's get some real honest advertisement going on like i love it we should actually do that it's, we should come up with some image <laughs> well, I love what you were saying. And I recently heard this in one of my courses about, or somewhere about capacity, you know, the grief, you don't ever necessarily get over grief, but your capacity to manage your emotions and feelings grows. So you're able to manage it better, but when you are in active addiction, you do not grow. And so you are stuck in that grief. You don't, ever develop any more capacity to manage it you don't develop any more you're, you're literally stuck and I think that was a really uh great way to articulate that because I think that's really what happens well and Dana you had just mentioned you like her having the tools to do it the one thing that I've noticed myself doing in recovery is in the event I am in a really tough situation, instantly what I think to myself is what is the next best thing that I can possibly do 
to support myself and the other party, whether that's my kids, husband, friend, the loss of a loved one. And I never thought like that when I was in addiction, but it is, I always ask, what is the next best thing that I can do? The next step that I can take. Um, And it is that step-by-step and it could be honestly so many different things, but to actually know that that's what I have to do and not sit and be stuck in that spot. Um, that's, that was huge, huge for me. So let me ask you and Tracy, and then I'll share when, you know, um, and I know Dana, you said that, but maybe you've had another experience similar, like what did you do, uh, when you were mourning the loss of your mother's, um, how did you, what were your recovery tools that you used? Um, no, go for it. Uh, I used my support system first and foremost. I went to daily meetings at that time. I remember one meeting, um, I said, um, you know, every drive home, my mother was in a nursing home. We had our date night, um, but I would call her on my drive home. And I remember just like, you know, being very sad that I couldn't call her anymore. And I had voice that I got it out. I spoke about it, you know, I got it out. So I guess processing and getting it out. After that meeting, a gentleman come up to, came up to me. He's like, you know, do you have a sponsor? And I'm like, I do. And he's like, she's your mom now. You call her every day when you leave work. And that's what I did. And, and, and at first it was hard. And I didn't want to, but I did it anyway. Because you do, you listen to people that are in recovery that, you know, that thing, you use the tools that has worked for them. You try it. Um, and then eventually, you know, I, I didn't need to call so much. Maybe it was like a twice a week and then, and then it was okay. I could drive home without, and that, that was a trigger, right? Because I don't want to deal with that. So what I would, you know, maybe would have done was drive home and have a drink. So, um, I definitely used, uh, I definitely, I, I, I definitely used my support system. I think for, I didn't, I didn't, ha- I, I didn't have to go through it alone. And so therefore I didn't. Um, I would echo that 100%. Um, when my mom died, it was, so I grew up knowing that I had to be really tough. Um, I didn't cry. Um, crying equated weakness for me as growing up. And so even as an adult, I mean, I could get into the biggest fight with a friend my husband, the kids, where you would expect that to be an emotion. And I don't know if I had just literally created a way that it was not, I was not able to do it at all. But if I saw a really sappy Hallmark commercial, I was bawling. But in that personal moment, I couldn't do it. So when my mom died, um, I genuinely believe that I figured out how to give myself grace, give myself um, my own gentleness to be able to mourn her and grieve her. I know so many people who have lost people and they start to get busier than ever because they're postponing that grief and they're not... um, they're not, they don't want to dive into it because it's yucky. It's a horrible feeling. And you're wondering when it will go away. Um, and so 
it was, it was literally the first time that I literally broke down. Um, but I didn't, it's hindsight's always 2020 in my recovery. Um, so looking back, I realized that, but in that moment, I, I was, I was mourning the three different people, you know, that I was talking about. And when my mom passed away, we were not on the best terms. So that was another layer of, I totally effed up as a daughter, you know, so I had a lot of guilt. I had a ton of shame. Um, but walking through mourning her and grieving her, I found the capacity to have grace in those situations and know that it's not, you know, going to be perfect. And so it was a the biggest thing, which sounds really weird that I got out of it was my own personal growth in knowing that, um, I mean, I, I sent it to you. I said, give yourself grace and gentleness. I will say that to every single person who has lost someone, because that is honestly, um, what, what helped me and my mom and her death. Thanks. Those are great. I, um, I have been making copious amounts of art. <laughs> um, I, you can't see my space right now, but I've been, uh, printing papers and, and, um, I'm going to just be lost in a sea of paper here soon. So I've been, but for me, art is, it's, it's my medicine. So, um, I've been making time for myself to do that because I find that better than I totally relate to what you're saying, Marilyn or Meredith. I don't know why I just called it Marilyn. I'm going to change your name. Um, you know, I know, I don't know if it's being a therapist or, or growing up in a traumatic, uh, having a traumatic childhood, but like, I don't cry at the appropriate times. I cry at um, ice skating, gymnastics, when people are applauding Instagram videos, like I, I right now, yeah, <laughs> the Olympics, like all of it triggers me. And I, it's like extreme emotion, applause, excitement really overwhelms me. And so right now I can't like watch mindless videos because I will start to cry and it, it doesn't necessarily mean the content is sad. So doing art means I'm not mindlessly doing other things right so I'm being very present um connecting like so the first thing I did I found out Friday morning well no Friday evening our time Friday morning the U.S. time um I went to meeting Saturday morning I you know I chaired the meeting and like I couldn't stop crying and then I went to the meeting and then I I was I had more capacity I wasn't crying as much um so using my recovery tools I messaged you guys I think on Saturday at some point I don't reach out I am the person who you know chairs the meetings does the recovery coach you know uh is a therapist I don't reach out so it was huge for me to leave that message it was huge so I've been doing that with key people I trust um being a good parent, you know, I needed to tell our kids. And one of the things that my daughter said to me not that long ago 
was that we didn't have room for emotion in our family. Um, and that to me is a consequence of active addiction, right? Like you don't hold space for your children to learn how to express their feelings. If you want nothing to do with expressing and experiencing feelings. Right. And so in recovery, I need to model that. And I also need to provide, you know, support for that, for my kids. And this was an opportunity for me to do that. Um, Did you share with them uh, that it could have possibly been related to her addiction or yeah we're very yeah so I had you know I had to explain to them why we weren't friends anymore mm -hmm. you know and yeah. um so they kind of just she just wasn't in our lives but there would be times where they wouldn't see her for so many months you know because of like whatever the expat life you know the way we live and in trips and stuff and um so mm -hmm. we had talked about it at that point you know um a little bit that you know I wasn't positive so I you know I just said like we're just you know sometimes friends just stop being friends and you know whatever it is mm -hmm. but when I talked to them I said you know you know I shared with you I was really concerned that something was happening with her and and it and it was and you know we have to we should remember her in her wellness and not remember her in her illness and yeah remember all the amazing times we had together and all of the holidays she spent with us and all of the, the ways in which she shared our lives with us. And then I asked them what they wanted to do to remember her. And um, so my son wants to find a picture. So I, I need to find a, you know, a great quintessential picture. So we'll print a picture and frame it and put it in the house. Um, and then she had this thing about pecans and you can't say pecan it's a pecan I think I think that's what I always got it opposite but like it was part of her upbringing she would get huge containers of them from a farm where she lived and grew up she was a, an avid gardener and this was one of the memories she shared with her grandparents and so she was a big part of all of our holidays and she would make pecan pie. Yes. And so, so yes, it's for, Oh my God. It's like a hyperglycemic attack for me. I can't like, <laughs> um, my so mother my, made the best. <laughs> well, I would love your mother's recipe because it doesn't matter what the recipe is. Uh, my son wants to make one every year on the, you know, in the, in, in her honor. So we're going to make one this year for Thanksgiving. Um, so, you know, it was kind of this, and then just kind of checking in with them and seeing and giving them space to cry and being, you know, giving them space to be sad and, and Good. you know, and just saying like, I'm really sad and I'm really mad, you know? And, yeah. um, and I think Meredith, when you were saying mourning the three people, that's what popped into my head, you know, like the feelings you have about the addict is very different than you have about the the yes. family member that has an, an illness is different from the family member of your childhood you know um yeah I mean I lost my father to an illness and I lost my mother to addiction and mm -hmm. it was a very different experience yeah um so that was really that was very interesting to think about the three different people so I want to put 
something into your brain just to think about. So pecans for her, right, are a very um, memorable thing. So when my mom was alive, she was obsessed, obsessed with candy corn. Totally weird. Um, You will find things to pop up in your daily life now that have to do with pecans. And I will tell you to take those moments as her stopping by to say hi, or just that moment that you need to remember her. Um, I'm not even joking you the amount, and obviously with Halloween candy corns everywhere, but I mean, we were on, um, it was a year after my mom died. We were on a trip to Disney and it was one of those things where in that moment we brought my husband's parents with us. So I sat there, I was like, man, like this would have been something that my mom would have died to see her grandkids doing and stuff like that. No sooner than I think that we were watching a parade and there is a character in the movie, A Bug's Life, who's obsessed with candy corn. And all I hear is him screaming candy corn the entire length (laughs) of him walking in front of us. And I was like, okay, she's here or someone will randomly post something about candy corn cake or like it is the (laughs) weirdest thing but those are my like I call them little winks from God Mm -hmm. and it's that moment that I need to say hi and think about her and and things like that so that is something that even my kids they'll see candy corn and they're like, Nana, you know, like it's a very, a a very good, it's a good thing, but that's how I'm prompted to remember her all the time. Yeah. I will. I eat pecans every day. Um, so I do see them, but for me, that's what the, that's what the monarch is. You know, Mm -hmm. I've had the monarch is, has shown up in similar shown up in so many situations where it's it's the people I've lost you know I'm, I'm not sure who if it's connected to my dad or if my grandfather sure. or if it's just you know those that are gone um yep. the other thing that I'm going to do is um on my other wrist I have so when my father passed away someone suggested releasing a balloon and so I did that and then when my mom passed I released a balloon and then we decided what an environmentally awful thing that is to do. Um, and so I had one tattooed on my wrist. Um, and so all the stars that I have all represent people I've loved that I've lost. And so I'm going to add a star for her um, with my balloon. Awesome. Yeah, so that that I'm going to do in a tribute. That's how I'm in a, tri- in, tribute, or in a tribute to her. But yeah, no, I know things will show up like, Oh yeah. Um, things but again, have that have really I'm not, thrown me off. It's amazing just with alcohol. You don't catch those little things. You don't yeah. catch those mm-hmm. glimpses of things where it's that instant, hey, you need to do this or reach out to this. But like you don't, none of that is there. Um that those little voices. Yeah, all you want to do is gone. get the drink, right? That's all you want to reach for is the drink and yep. see and, yep. and yeah. deal with. Yeah. I had a, I had a, a dear, dear, dear friend um, whom I lost. He was 26 and I was 22 at the time. And um, 
he knew he had a drinking problem. He knew he had a serious problem. And, and at the time I was the only person in the crew that didn't drink. So he came to me to hang out. We would build little model cars and paint them or watch movies or whatever we could do to divert his attention to drinking. And I remember one night I had a friend over, we were watching movies and, um, he called and he's like, can we get together? And I'm like, I have a friend here. I can't, you know, let's get together tomorrow. Um, and tomorrow never came for him. He went out, he was mm. drinking. He got flagged mm. from three bars. He um, ended up picking up a 19 year old girl um, at one of the bars and he, she wanted him to take him home on his Harley and they drove themselves into a tree and both of them oh, died. No. Um, and it was to say traumatic is, is light for what we all went through with that. And the guilt that I carried for so many years, because I'm thinking to myself, my God, if I just invited him over, if he just came over and hang out, hung out with my friend and I to watch movies or whatever, I could have saved his life. But I have a feeling that if it didn't happen that night, it was going to happen somewhere down the line, mm-hmm. you know, but I think to myself, what kind of life would he be living now if he was still with us? Um, mm-hmm. you know, and there were a lot of really weird signs that we all went through. Like, you know, I came home that next day after work and my VCR was on as the days of the VCR and I would, I turned it off and I went into the kitchen to start making dinner and I came back out into the to the living room and it was back on again and I turned it off and watched it come back on and I was like Wolfie you know I hear you I hear you you know I'm like you gotta knock it off because you're freaking me out and it did I turned it off and it didn't come back on and I'm like I don't know I don't know if I just the the (laughs) remote was in a weird spot and that's what was going on I have no idea but it was it was was something that was needed you know what I mean it was the, the, these little signs and things like that from other people other friends of his that that were talking about it too but um you never like I didn't drink at that time so I didn't understand addiction I didn't understand why people couldn't just stop doing whatever they were doing you know and um it's 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 a different it's a like you were saying Heather it and and Tracy and Meredith too it's it's a different kind of death it's a different kind of loss um so I can relate to that but but it was I was sober in a different lifetime of mine you know versus the sobriety I'm in now um but I feel it you know and I still feel it to this day like you know what what could have been for him Um, and that's another piece of that person that you mourn I mourn my mother not seeing my kids you know, mm-hmm. like the grandmother that she could have been, yeah. Um, you know, the life that she could have led if she, I mean, honestly, if she would have gotten sober, I, I do not think that we would have been in the position we were when we found her cancer. She went into it in extremely unhealthy, but she was of the mentality that it was fine you know, those she's numbing the voices, you know? And yeah. so I, I do feel like if she was completely sober, we would have caught it way sooner um, and been able to actually do treatment that would have helped her. Yeah. 
And that's, that is the, one of the moms that I mourned as well. I mean, she died when I was 15. Yeah. There was my entire life. She missed, you know, my entire life. And, um, to come to terms with that, you know, is really, it's tough. It's really, really tough. And sometimes I still work on it because, you know, it's still, this is the capacity. The grief does not change. I do not ever stop missing the people that I've lost, but my capacity grows. And so, you know, I've also seen this um, thing where it's like a grief ball and there's a jar and the, the jar grows bigger, you know, mm -hmm. so that you're yeah. not so suffocated with it, um, which I think these visuals are helpful um, when people, you know, say horrible, not, they don't mean to, but it's like, oh, it, this too will pass, or, you know, they're in a better place, or, you know, those kinds of things, and, like, that doesn't help the person that is grieving, you know, like, it will get better, well, no, maybe it won't, like, maybe you well, just learn to live with it. When they, when everyone's like, oh, it'll, it'll get better, and I'm like, it doesn't get easier at all, I was like, honestly, I just learned to live with it better every year, mm -hmm. and, you know, you guys just maybe you made me think of something maybe for a next podcast is um, we're we're all talking about our parents, you know, being addicts or one of them at least. And in, in you know, is it hereditary? Is it something in our? Is it behavioral? And maybe Meredith, mm -hmm. this is your specialty. I don't know, you know, or is it like yeah? I don't. That's interesting though. And I don't know about you, Dana, if your if your background or no, no, nobody, nobody in my family. I, I mean, my parents have addictive, not my mother, my father has addictive personality traits in certain areas, but it, it was never drugs or alcohol. My dad has never even smoked pot. Um, but that know, right it, there, that is exactly, that is what I feel is hereditary is addictive personalities. And it just yeah. depends on what you're so, exposed to, what you end up going to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think if we could, maybe we could talk about that in one of these mm -hmm. upcoming episodes yeah absolutely it's something I talk about with my children because I do think there is a family disposition to it both my parents mm -hmm. were addicts my grandmother you know the story went my mom and her sister would go to school my grandmother would take a Valium my grandmother was an amazing woman an amazing woman but there was something you know mm -hmm. um these were the stories I don't know more about it like you know um, but I know that there was a lot in our family history on both sides. So I really talked to my kids about the reality of that. Um, and I used to be petrified about it, you know, passing that on to my kids. And someone mm -hmm. said to me in rehab, actually, the statistics don't support that. The statistics mm -hmm. show that parents who are in recovery statistically have lower instances of addiction in their children. And that could be a whole other podcast yeah, yeah that's, right. what I'm going for. that's what I'm banking on that's you know like well or even just how to talk to kids how to talk to your kids about it how to yeah. talk to your friends kids about it um because I get the question all the time with my kids who are in their 13 you know and that age is coming up <laughs> so I have to figure out how to be a mom who's in recovery who can who still knows that her kids are going to mess up you know, like, yeah. And are they going to be a drinker like their mom or not? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Another episode. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you all so much. Uh, I appreciate the, 
you know, the space for healing and, and for sharing the common experience. And, and I know that um, many people, you know, as always in our topics, it, this will resonate because it's, it's something mm -hmm. that, especially if you're in the rooms and you build a community, a recovery based community, this is the downside of it, that we are going to know people, whether it's in our personal lives or in the rooms or in your recovery community or whatever, we're going to know people who do not make it through. Yep. Um, and, uh, that's just kind of the reality of it. So thank you all. Uh, I look forward to next week. Thank hey. you. Good, Good to see you guys. Bye. Thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate you and wish you the best on your sober adventures. For more information and details on upcoming episodes, check us out on YouTube or Instagram at four sober chicks. That's number four sober chicks. We welcome your feedback and look forward to being with you on the next episode.